Welcome to the second edition of News of the Church. It's the 26th of November of 2003. It's the 24th and last Sunday after Pentecost in the Vetus Ordo calendar and the Feast of Christ the King in the Novus Ordo. It's also the feasts of St. Pope Siricius and St. Leonard of Port Maurice. Some time ago I saw a movie called News of the World based on a novel of the same name. The movie stars Tom Hanks, who is an aging Confederate officer from Texas in 1870. He ekes out a meager living after the war by going from town to town reading newspaper stories to the locals for an admission of 10 cents a head. Today it seems like there's way too much news, and getting away from it is probably a good idea. However, the notion of a guy just sitting and reading seemingly random but interesting bits of news is kind of catchy. So I thought I'd give it a try. From time to time, I receive by post a newsletter from the wonderful traditional Benedictine monks of Le Barou at their monastery of St. Magdalene, St. Mary Magdalene. And this is from their newsletter, Les Amis du Monastère, uh, from number 187, which was put out in September of 2023. And there's a news item in here uh, from, well, it's about the jubilee coming up of the apparitions of the Sacred Heart to St. Margaret Mary. And I'll just uh, read this to you. I'm translating from the French. A few months ago, Father Etienne Kern, rector of the sanctuary of Paris-le-Monial, came to the abbey to announce the opening of a jubilee of the apparitions of the Sacred Heart to St. Margaret Mary. The rector wanted to meet me in person, the one who's writing this is the abbot. The rector wanted to meet me in person because he wanted with all his soul to invite as many as possible without forgetting the faithful attached to the ancient liturgy. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? He didn't want to forget the people attached to the traditional liturgy when it seems like when our you know, bishops get together and talk or everybody gets together in a synod. That's exactly what they do. It's the most marginalized group in the church, and yet they are the ones that they are the most eager to forget. Um, I digress. On December 27th, Monsignor Riviere, Monsignor in French, uh, Monsignor is the, the title that they give to a bishop, not just a guy who's a Monsignor. Um, bishop Riviere will celebrate the inaugural Mass of this Jubilee, 350 years after the first apparition. The Jubilee will last until June 2025 and will end with a pontifical Mass celebrated on the Feast of the Sacred Heart by, means, by Monsignor Fisichella, pro-prefect of the Dicastery for Evangelization. Father Kern assures that you are all welcome, individually or in associations, and that Bishop Riviere, Bishop of Autun, authorizes the celebration according to the ancient form. Isn't that wonderful? <clears throat> Going on. 
It is a sign of the goodness of the Lord who, after the great worries of recent years, comes to console us by encouraging us to return to this great unity of one and the same faith lived in different ways. Is it not the sacred heart of Jesus that shed blood and water on the world, not just water, but also blood? The history of the church shows that there have always been different schools of thought and theology. Alexandria was not Antioch. The Easterners are not Westerners, but, as St. John Paul II said, the Church has two lungs. To us who are currently advancing on a crest line in our unwavering attachment to the Holy See and to the traditional liturgy, this pilgrimage to paris le monial constitutes an invitation from the Lord to resume this great work of unity, a unity which must be operative with more height depth, and width. Let us not forget that this wounded, torn heart, which stopped beating on the cross, began to live again after the opening made by the soldier's lance. No longer with a view to irrigating the physical body of Christ, but to vivify his mystical body, which is the church, by the water of baptism and the Eucharistic blood. This divine heart is the source and summit of Christian life. Our struggles cannot bear fruit if they do not flow from his grace and if they do not return to him. Okay, I'm just going to step out from that. I don't know how many times I've written on the blog that no matter what it is that we pursue in life as a church or as a unit within the church, it has to begin with and go back to the Eucharist. The Eucharist is not just the sacrament, but it's also the celebration of the sacrament, which is Holy Mass. It's the source and summit of Christian life. And so everything has to begin with that and then return to that. And so here we read in this, and I'll just back up a sentence or so, and then I'll go on. This divine heart is the source and summit of Christian life. Our struggles cannot bear fruit if they do not flow from his grace and if they do not return to him. I Yeah, okay, I have to stop too. This also is redolent of the exitus and reditus, the going forth and then the return theology. Joseph Ratzinger has written about this. The, the fathers of the church were very much involved with this. This exodos and parados, the, and, and in the middle... What do we have? We have conversio. When you go forth and then you return, at a certain point there's a turning. There's conver conversion, conversio, the turning about. Okay. Um, I strongly recommend to all the faithful, and more particularly to all those who are worried about the new paths of the church, to those who feel totally overwhelmed, to those who are discouraged as to those who are preparing to fight, to take advantage of this jubilee, and to find light and strength. Time is not against us, because God's grace is there. The Sacred Heart is not a story of the past, but a current event rooted in the eternity of God. Baudelaire himself, in his poem L'Horloge, admitted that minutes, blithesome mortal, are bits of ore, that you must not release without extracting the gold. I hope that this jubilee will be for you all like a new Tabor, 
a summit where the Lord will reveal his power and his goodness to your eyes. One of the most beautiful mysteries of devotion to the Sacred Heart is admirably summarized in the Collect of the Feast Mass. The prayer of the Church directs us toward a direction where reparation remains inseparably united with charity. Even more, it is the fervent homage of piety which constitutes the soul of reparation. It is not a question of harming ourselves to compensate for the evil that is unleashed in the world and often in our lives, but of reorienting our souls toward the one who is, I repeat, the source and summit of all Christian life. In his encyclical Haurietis Aquas in Gaudio, Pius XII recalled that devotion to the Sacred Heart was the quickest, straightest path to becoming a saint, but also a path to true conversion. But our conversion is urgent. How can we want to save the world if we don't start by reorienting our souls like a magnet towards the pole? The best way to repair is to do good and to begin by knowing and loving the Lord better, so well depicted in his sacred heart. Isn't holiness to imitate our Lord? How could we imitate him if we do not look at him with piety? And is it not precisely from the sacred heart that saints like Mother Teresa drew the strength to do so much good in such a selfless way? Yes, a hundred times, yes. Eh bien, well, allons à Paris. Let us go to Paris to ask the Lord for this charity which only seeks to spread throughout history. You know, I found that wonderful. This is really quite a lovely exhortation uh, towards unity, for one thing. You know, monks are not closed off behind their walls with just the traditional mass. No, they're going to go to parade and they're going to participate in these wonderful uh, ceremonies. And uh, the Bishop of Autun there is really showing himself to be quite open and I just found this really quite edifying, and I hope that you did too. I turn now to the... I turn now to my December 2023 number of QST. QST is the publication of ARRL, which once which is was the American Radio Relay League, which is now called the National Association for Amateur Radio. This is a monthly put out by a ham radio association uh, organization, and they have news of what's going on for all sorts of different groups. And I found this about a group at a Catholic academy called St. Michael's Academy, which is a day and boarding school for boys and girls from kindergarten through 12th grade in Spokane, Washington. And it's administered by the Congregation of Mary Immaculate Queen, which is a St. Contest traditionalist uh, Catholic organization. Uh, this the the place where they're at was constructed in in I picked this up off their website. Uh, it was it was built in 1916, 
on the Mount, and so they called it Mount St. Michael. And for 50 years, it was a seminary for about 200 Jesuit seminarians. And then in 1968, after the uh, changes of Vatican II brought about basically uh, eradication of, um, well, I'll just move on. The Jesuits had to pull out, and so this group bought it and started up uh, started up a school. So this is what I read in QST. Mount St. Michael's Academy Radio Club. Mount St. Michael Church and Academy in Spokane, Washington, houses the Sheriff's Community-Oriented Policing Efforts, SCOPE, repeater and antenna in their fifth-story bell tower. So, when the Academy began offering elective courses for students, SCOPE team members, Jeff Banke, November Zulu 2 Sierra, Greg Preuss, uh, Kilo 2 Golf Echo Papa, and Ted Phelps, November Alpha 7 Tango Papa, offered a class on basic radio, electronic theory, and amateur radio instruction. Nine students and one sister signed up for the class. One of the hands-on construction exercises, an LED-lit Christmas tree, covered how to read and understand the color codes of resistors, inductors, and, compa and capacitors with discussion of how to measure them. And there's a lovely photo here of a bunch of, uh, looks like high school girls in their uniforms. And they are holding uh, the project with different colored things. Anyway, it's, uh, it's really quite, quite sweet. Well, I guess it happens that we are being quite traditional today. Um, I have in my hand here the uh, November and December issue of The Angelus, which is a publication of the Society of St. Pius X. And in this, there's a letter from their district superior, Father John Fullerton. And I'll share um, a good deal of this. Um, it's, it's helpful for us. Dear reader, or dear listener, I guess you would say, Just before our Lord ascended into heaven, he gave the apostles a mission. Go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark sixteen fifteen. This was a mission to conquer the world for Christ. To no other entity than his own church has God given the command to teach the whole world. The command contains both a duty and a right. The duty to labor ceaselessly for the spread of the gospel, being urged on by the charity of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.14, and the right of the Catholic Church to be heard, because she sends forth the very ambassadors of Christ, God, as it were, exhorting by them, Again, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. 
Our own times have witnessed two ideologies that have usurped the universal role of the church, claiming for themselves a worldwide mission for the benefit of mankind, a claim that has led them to seek to conquer the world for their own ideas. The first of these is Freemasonry, a naturalistic system that has sought to create a paradise on earth through secular democracies that legitimize all forms of sin. Since its founding in 1717, Freemasonry has warred unceasingly against the Church because the Church has a supernatural view of the end of man and established a multinational alliance, Christendom, which incarnated its view in society. The Christian states, which were an answer to the apostolic mission given by Christ, have now been destroyed, and Freemasonry has refashioned the Christian world into its own image. The second modern ideology, with a self-imposed universal mission, is communism. Like Freemasonry, it seeks to create a paradise on earth. The means it employs, however, is not unbridled freedom, but class warfare. Communism stirs up conflict wherever it can, with the objective of eliminating all class distinction in society. It promises a classless society of perfect happiness at the end of the conflict, but that end has never been seen. Communism is forever stuck in a path of death and destruction. And <clears throat> I'm going to skip down just a little bit. The world has changed greatly since the time of our Lord, but his words are for all time. Go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. Father John Fullerton from the Angelus. Uh, their November and December 2023 edition. This is a pretty good segue into um, something I found fascinating, really, um, by Bishop Robert Barron, who doesn't read, really need much of an introduction. Uh, Bishop Barron has been undergoing... It, it seems to me a kind of an evolution uh, now that he's not uh, a rector of a seminary or an auxiliary bishop, but he's the bishop of his own diocese. He seems to be evolving. And he was recently a participant at the walking together uh, experience in Rome, the walking together about walking togetherity. And, um, he wrote something about his experience there. And I found it really fascinating because he's he puts his finger on a couple of neuralgic points which are important to hear. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing of it. Uh, I find this, uh, his article called My Experience of the Synod, on his site called wordonfire.org. You can find it there. But here's what really caught my attention. You know, in the Synod, they were trying to figure out ways to bring, you know, lay people and so forth into greater levels of governance in the church. And here's what Bishop Barron writes. 
A question that I raised several times in the small group conversations, however, was whether, in our enthusiasm to include people in the governance of the Church, we forget that the vocation of 99% of the Catholic laity is to sanctify the world, to bring Christ into the arenas of politics, the arts, entertainment, communication, business, medicine, etc., precisely where they have a special competence. Generally speaking, I was worried that both the instrumentum laboris and the synod conversations were far more preoccupied with the ad intra than with the ad extra. Uh, in other words, the, um, the, the view toward within us rather than the view outward from us. And this despite the fact that Pope Francis has been consistently calling for a church that goes out from itself. On a number of occasions during the Synod, I proposed the Catholic action model that was, in the preconciliar period, such an effective way to form the laity in their mission to the world. Now, that's an interesting paragraph, and it, I think it dovetails very well with the idea of mission that is presented by Father John Fullerton in that letter from the District Superior that we had in the, in the Angelus. Coincidentally, by the way, the uh, SSPX Seminary um, was in uh, Winona, which is Rochester, Winona is the diocese where Bishop Barron is. I think it's entirely coincidental, but uh, it's an interesting point. Let's go on with uh, Bishop Barron's observations. Another principal theme of the Synod discussions was the player perceived tension between love and truth. On the one hand, we must welcome everyone, but lest this welcoming devolve into a form of cheap grace, to use Dietrich Bonhoeffer's term, we at the same time must summon those we include to conversion, to live according to the truth. As you might suspect, this issue became concretized around the outreach to the LGBT community. Practically everyone at the Synod held that those whose sexual lives are outside of the norm should be treated with love and respect. And again, bravo to the Synod for making this pastoral point so emphatically. But many Synod participants also felt that the truth of the Church's moral teaching in regard to sexuality ought never to be set aside. One of the interventions that I made to the plenary assembly was on this theme. I observed that when the terms are rightly understood, there is no real tension between love and truth, for love is not a feeling, but the act by which one wills the good of another. Therefore, one cannot authentically love someone else unless he has a truthful perception of what is really good for that person. There might, I argued, be a tension between welcoming and truth, but not between authentic love and truth. Okay, I'm just going to stop here for a moment. Um, this idea of of love not being a feeling, it's an act by which one wills the good of the other. See, that's the thing about charity. The, the perfect charity modeled by our Lord on the cross was that which seeks the good of the other, even at the expense of oneself, right? Sacrificial love, that's what it's about. And it has to be re rooted in the truth. And of course, the one who made that perfect sacrifice is the way, the truth, and the life. So this was this was very good. Um, and here, this last 
this last part, I think, yeah, I'll just, well, we'll see if we go on from here. Anyway, continuing with Bishop Barron. A third area of interest, concern, for me, centered around the notion of mission. The term mission was used constantly in the texts we considered and the conversations we had. That the church is a mission, to use Pope Paul VI's language, was taken for granted by the Senate members, and this represents a significant and very encouraging appropriation of the teaching of Vatican II and of the post-conciliar papal magisterium. Pope St. John Paul II's indefatigable teaching on the new evangelization has evidently worked its way into the heart and mind of the worldwide church, but there was, at least to my mind, a fair amount of ambiguity around the meaning of the word itself. Judging from what we read in the Instrumentum Laboris, that was the working document that they all kind of started out with, mission seemed more often than not, to designate the church's work in favor of social justice and the betterment of economic and political situation of the poor. Isn't that interesting? It sounds a little bit like that whole Masonic and Communist thing that, that John Fullerton was talking about. Anyway, conspicuous by their absence in the texts on mission were references to sin, grace, redemption, cross, resurrection, eternal life, and salvation. And this represents a real danger. For in point of fact, the primary mission of the church is to declare the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to invite people to place themselves under his lordship. This discipleship, to be sure, has implications for the way we live in the world, and it certainly should lead us to work for justice, but we must keep our priorities straight. The supernatural should never be reduced to the natural. Rather, the natural order should be transfigured by its relationship to the supernatural order. Okay, and this is really very, very good, isn't it? Um, this is, isn't that the, this is the essence of modernism, the heresy of modernism, the reduction of the supernatural to the natural. And you can see how this may have affected uh, the way that sacred liturgical worship is engaged in in so many places, how it's been horizontalized and the vertical has been stripped away. And there's all the replacement of, of the sacred and the replacement of like veiling things, letting nothing be veiled. Everything has to be out there, right? Visible, immediately visible and so forth. Um, you know, this, so this is very good from Bishop Barron and I'm, I'm quite happy to have seen it. There's more, and it's also very good, but let's just stop with that. Now, this series that I'm doing is called News of the Church, but, you know, we can sneak some worldly things in here and there, and I'm going to do that right now <clears throat> with the copy of the November and December issue of Concealed Carry magazine. And in it they have a section always called True Stories, things that have you know, really happened out there in the world and how people have defended themselves or defended others. 
Um, this is on page 18. A Columbia man heard the sound of his car starting in his garage at around 2 a.m. Taking a handgun with him when he investigated, he discovered a stranger attempting to open his garage door from the inside. The homeowner held the intruder at gunpoint on the floor of the garage. The invader was dressed entirely in black with black gloves and a black mask, and police found a wallet and car keys from several neighboring houses on him. He was also in possession of a handgun, screwdriver, and flashlight. The intruder was charged with first-degree burglary, stealing a motor vehicle, armed criminal action, and possession of burglary tools. This is reported from KRCG 13 in New Bloomfield, Missouri. Well, I find this interesting because just the other day I read about car thefts using what's called the relay method. And what this is all about is uh, gangs are using relay technology to what they do is they re get the signal from a key inside someone's house and then transfer it to a portable device which is near the car and that allows them to unlock and drive the car now you know a lot of cars have this these keyless entry systems right you know you carry a fob with you and you know, you can you can open the car and you can start the car just using you know pushing a button. You don't have to stick a key into a thing and turn it and so forth. So as long as you have the fob nearby the car, you can do things with the car. You can not only that, you, when you turn it on, it'll access your car's like satellite radio system or um, the wireless system that hooks up to your phone. Uh, and um, all these, and, you know, uh, navigation systems and so forth. Emergency systems, you know, like if you get in trouble, you could push a button. And so just having this fob gives you access to all these different aspects of what the car can do. And so what the relay, what the relay attack does, uh, so someone stands by the, the vehicle that's targeted, and another person stands near the house, where you are, where the key is inside, the fob, with a device that can pick up the signal from the key fob. And some devices are able to pick up signals from the key fobs from like a, almost like a hundred yards away, I guess. But, you know, so the closer you are to the house, the more accuracy you have. You're getting this fob and not another one. So the device then relays the key fob's signal directly to the car, which makes it possible for you to, you know, just open up the door and push the button and drive away. Now, one way to defeat this, I guess, is to put the fob, you know, once you go into your house, if you're parking your car in the street or in the driveway near, near your house, you can um, put your key in a metal box or in a Faraday wallet or Faraday cage or in one of those you know, one of those bags or something that prevents electronic signals, all that sort of thing. Uh, in the case of the news story, the guy had actually gotten into the garage and was, you know, working on it uh, that way. There's another way, apparently, to attack things called a can attack. Um, they can get direct access to your car. They remove part of, you know, they pull part of your bumper back, and there's a way to access the whole system of the car that way. But anyway, I thought this 
was just of a very interesting, uh, you know, kind of interest. Today being the 24th and last Sunday of the year, in the Vetus Ordo Mass, we have a gospel reading from Matthew 24, which is about the signs of the end of the age and the foretelling of the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem. Uh, but also, in the same chapter, we hear this, a reading from the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As it were in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one is taken and one is left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one is taken and one is left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the householder had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have watched and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The saving words of the Gospel. There are a few other little items I could share right now. I think I'll wrap this up, though. Um, I want to go watch a hockey game. Um, the uh, Gophers are playing against hated Michigan State in a rare Sunday matinee. And I think I'll go watch that now. Uh, in the meantime, I wish you a lovely continuation of your day, and I would ask for your prayers. Please pray for me as I will for you. This is Father John Zilsdorf.